Welcome back to That Wasn't In My Textbook, the bi-weekly podcast that helps us uncover the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to episode eight, the history of the Harlem Renaissance. Happy Friday, everyone. It feels kind of weird to just jump into today's episode without first acknowledging the fucked up verdict of the Breonna Taylor case. I don't have a lot to say on this subject matter because I have a lot of feelings that I'm so processing that I can't really articulate and quite frankly won't come out right on this podcast. But I will say that once again, the system has failed us. Black folks, black women, and anyone who believes that black lives fucking matter. Am I surprised that police got away with murder yet again? No. Am I disappointed? Absolutely. Am I enraged? Absolutely. So much so that I thought about not putting out an episode today. But I just decided to pour myself into this podcast. Um. <clears throat> If you want to take a deeper look into how we got here and why the police continue to get away with murdering black folks, I suggest you listen to episode four on the history of police in the U.S. from slave patrols to Black Lives Matter that features my really good friend Will Cooper from Politics in 60 Seconds. It's a really good episode that breaks down how the American police and the justice system work hand in hand against black folks and why many black people say fuck the police. Yeah, so that's all I have to say on that. Rest in peace, Breonna Taylor. Now on to today's subject, the Harlem Renaissance. Now, some of us who are listening may have in fact learned about the Harlem Renaissance. It's a relatively popular subject, so it might have been in your textbooks. Or there might be some people who haven't learned about it at all. Either way, if you learned about it, this is going to be a great refresher. And you know, your black historian will, of course, tell you some things you probably didn't learn about the Harlem Renaissance period that you should definitely know. Today's episode is inspired by two things. First is the fact that your girl, Toya, me, your host, is from Harlem. You know, they call me Toya from Harlem. That's my handle on social media. So, you know, duh, of course I'm excited about this episode. And you kind of already knew this episode was coming up if you know, you know, my handles. And I am a byproduct of the Harlem Renaissance. Yep. Mm-hmm. My family is a part of that period. I don't want to give away too much right now, but I'll give you the tea on that in this episode. So keep listening. The second thing that inspired this Harlem Renaissance episode is the fact that this year is the hundredth anniversary of the Harlem Renaissance. Yep, you heard me right. It's been a hundred years since the Harlem Renaissance began. Can you believe it? The formation of Harlem as the black capital, the black Mecca, the black hub of the world started a hundred years ago. 
Of course, prior to the pandemic, there were a lot of plans to celebrate this occasion this year in Harlem, but clearly things have changed and outside has been closed since March. So we are going to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Harlem Renaissance in today's episode. In honor of this year being the 100th year celebration of the Harlem Renaissance, we're going to discuss this historical time period, also known as the New Negro Movement. We're going to kick this episode off with what is the Harlem Renaissance and why is it so important and why was it so lit so we can understand why we should really, really care about it. Because I know some of y'all are listening and being like, Toya, why are you so hyped? Is it because you're from Harlem? But, and it's very important to American history, not just black history. So keep listening. We're going to kick things off covering other topics like how the Harlem Renaissance popped off, how the Harlem Renaissance changed theater, visual arts, literature, and the music game to this day. And then we'll sum it up with why and how it all came to an end. Now, this is a solo episode with Just Your Girl. So these are super fun and quick sound bites on history. A little disclaimer, of course, before we jump into this, the Harlem Renaissance is a huge subject that personally I can go on and on and on and on. Okay, you get it on about and there are many artists that emerge from this time period and with that being said I can't mention them all it's like literally impossible so forgive me listeners and ancestors you know give me some grace now let's jump into it now many of us may have learned about the Harlem Renaissance in school we already talked about that right for those of us who may have learned about Harlem Renaissance in school Or you might be familiar with dope movers and shakers of the period. Names like Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston, County Cullen, Josephine Baker, Louis Armstrong might pop into your head, just to name a few. With that being said, the Harlem Renaissance was a blackity black, black movement that took place in the corner of Upper Manhattan, the island of Manhattan, And it took place roughly around 1910s, kind of into the mid-1930s. And these years were considered the golden age in black culture. During this time, black folks created art that shattered stereotypes, increased visibility, and uplifted black folks. You have to remember, this was the first time ever, because prior, you, you know, black folks were enslaved, that black folks were legally allowed to create art, music, poetry, literature, be on stage, and we really contributed to American culture. It was an explosive time, a reawakening and a reimagining of art, music, and literature, because black folks were a part of it. And it was also like a necessary time period and repair from the years and years and years of fucked up entertainment that was 
that place black people as the laughing stock of art and literature. Think blackface, think minstrelsy. You know, we really, that was the only way that black folks were represented or presented. They weren't represented, presented in art and music and minstrelsy was upholding stereotypes. So now black people could finally be like, hold up, let me put you on to some music, some entertainment, talk about the black experience through a black lens, make art through a black lens and cut out all that racist bullshit. You feel me? And unlike other traditional renaissance periods by you know like the colonizers this one this black renaissance doesn't include any kind of plagues or death or any dark shit like that so now that we know it was a lit time to be black and express yourself as a black person through different mediums music poetry all of that good stuff you might be wondering how all these black folks started popping up in harlem I have two words for you, great migration, which is what they call the time period when mad, mad black folks, hundreds of thousands, moved from the South and started planting roots in northern cities like Philly, D.C., and Harlem was one of the most popular neighborhoods to live when you came to New York. Things like racist-ass Jim Crow laws, some kind of like land issues that started happening in the South in terms of like growing cotton, it wasn't really growing that well, and slow immigration and the lack of white labor due to the draft of World War I, World War I black folks were needed in the North and they had more opportunities there. And my great-grandparents... Nellie and James Buncombe came to America by way of the island of St. Kitts and moved into Harlem in the 1920s. They established themselves and started their family during the Harlem Renaissance. I know that my great-grandmother was a sewer and a seamstress, and she did that from her home. In fact, my grandma was born in 1937, around the last years of the Harlem Renaissance. I am lucky enough to have some faint memories of my great-grandparents because they lived to their mid-90s. My family has a lot of archival stuff about them, and we even have a picture of my great-grandpa's passport and from St. Kitts and his, like, you know, his stamp coming to America. So, you know, little stuff like that um, helped me understand who I am and how my family fits into the context of historical movements like the Harlem Renaissance. On top of the Great Migration, bringing in black folks from both land and sea, Harlem presented as the perfect place for black folks to live. Because while the neighborhood was originally designed for upper white folks, developers got a little too ahead of themselves, built too many buildings. So after buildings sat empty for a minute, you know, due to like World War II and stuff like that, landlords, even with, you know, racism in their veins, needed to fill them because, you know, money and capitalism. So they let black folks in and then boom, that's how we got Harlem. Harlem became a hub, a mecca, a capital for black folks. 
It also became the home of like really important institutions like the NAACP, the National Urban League, Marcus Garvey's Universal Negro Improvement Association, and W.E.D. Du Bois magazine called The Crisis. Now remember The Crisis because it's going to come up a couple of times in the rest of this episode. Artists, creatives of the Harlem Renaissance had a lot of themes. Many of them were celebratory. Others talked about racism, stereotypes, the struggles of being black in this white world through their music, through their writing, through their photography, through their art, and so much more. And many of these themes still apply today. And the art and literature of this time will forever be a part of history. It's taught in schools. Many of us have read Langston Hughes poems and read stuff by Richard Wright and other pivotal artists of that time period. This time period marked the first time that both the white world and the black world celebrated black artists. Were black art and black artists new? Hell nah, but previously, many black artists were only known within their communities. So now let's jump into how the Harlem Renaissance impacted different areas. Let's first start with theater. Up until this point, theaters were segregated, with plays on Broadway only written by white guys, performed by white actors and even quote unquote black roles because these are like minstrelsy roles, right? Coonery roles were performed by white actors and actresses who dressed up in blackface and all that crazy stuff. But during the Harlem Renaissance, we start to see black actors and realistic stories of black life written by both black and in some cases white folks. During this time, there was a formation of a lot of black theater groups that put on plays. One of the most popular black theater group was the Kirwa Players that was started by writer and activist W.E. Du Bois and librarian Regina Anderson. The Kirat Plays was a company of black actors, and their unique motto was that plays had to be performed and written by black folks. Their headquarters was at the 135th Street Public Library, where Anderson worked. W.E.D. Du Bois was so passionate about black folks writing their own stories and playing in their own plays that he wrote up a manifesto in his magazine called The Crisis that outlined what black theater should look like. Said it should look like the following four things. One, about us. Two, by us. Three, for us. And four, near us. Black plays were popping off in Harlem, but there was also starting to kick off on Broadway as well. Go a little downtown. So Shuffle Along was a black musical featuring Josephine Baker, is one example of a black play that did well during the Harlem Renaissance on Broadway. Another area the Harlem Renaissance impacted on top of theater was art. And art-wise, painters, sculptures, and even photographers of the Harlem Renaissance all had different styles, 
but again, had similar themes around being black, being black in America, traveling from the north to the south. One of my favorite painters of the Harlem Renaissance is Jacob Lawrence. He did a migration painting series at the young age of 23 years old, which makes me feel like, shit, what was I was not doing that at 23. I needed to get my life together. <laughs> um, his series highlighted the droves of people that migrated from the south to the north. His painting style is labeled dynamic cubism. He married fellow artist Gwendolyn Knight, and when he was later drafted in World War II as a coastal guard, he continued to paint and came back and published a war series that depicted the things that he saw during the war. He died in 2000. Damn, I wish I would have met him. In high school, I wanted to be a painter. Um, I actually won a painting award on graduation day and my art teacher awarded me a dope ass coffee table book about Jacob's Lawrence life called Over the Line. I still have it to this day. It's with me here in LA on my bookshelf and I actually pulled it out for this episode. But yes, I love Jacob's Lawrence work and his life story is really phenomenal. Continuing on the subject of art, the unofficial photographer of the Harlem Renaissance was James Van Der Zee, who moved to Harlem in 1906. So at the beginning of the Harlem Renaissance, people say it started in 1910, and he opened up a portrait studio in 1916. He used his camera lens to document this booming art period and Harlem's middle class and he took photos of Harlem Renaissance icons like actor Billy Bojangles Robinson, boxer Joe Lewis, minister Adam Clayton Power Sr. He also was the official photographer of black separatist Marcus Garvey, you know, the guy who suggested that we all go back to Africa and get away from all these this racist shit and start over. And during this current climate in the U.S., I kind of feel him on this. Maybe we should have listened. In the area of literature and poetry, the Harlem Renaissance changed that game as well. You simply can't have a conversation about American poetry or literature without talking about the Harlem Renaissance. Again, the themes of black life, black identity, and the struggles of being both black and American continued throughout literature and poetry. In publishing, we started to see dope writing by dope black folks, people like Langston Hughes, who published his first poem, The Negro Speaks of Rivers, a personal fave, in W.E.D. Du Bois magazine, The Crisis. I actually had to memorize this poem in elementary school, and it's still my favorite poem to this day, maybe because it was the first poem I had to memorize and like go line by line to understand it. Another piece of art of the time was a collection of essays, stories, poems, and artwork by a diverse group of artists, both old and young, black and even white folks <laughs> were a part of this collection that was called The New Negro. And it was edited by critic and sociologist Alan Locke. And this term, the title of his book, The New Negro, 
became this like buzz phrase that inspired people to have a sense of pride in their community and to also refuse to, you know, be down and burdened by the injustices they were subject to. It was so popular that the Harlem Renaissance was often called the New Negro Renaissance or the New Negro Movement. Other poppin' pivotal people, say that three times, poppin' pivotal people, in the lit game included Elizabeth Alexander, Nella Larson, Zora Neale Hurston, Richard Wright, and just to name a few. I can't name all of them, but just to name a few. Now, now if we start talking about the music game of the Harlem Renaissance, no aspect of the Harlem Renaissance shaped America and the entire world as much as jazz, which came out of the Harlem Renaissance. It was so poppin' that white folks were heading uptown to Harlem to hear the rhythms, the scatting, the improv, musical instruments of jazz. The main place to be for musical entertainment was the Cotton Club, which is still there, by the way. Now, is it still open? I don't know. It was operated by a white gangster named Only Maiden. He used the Cotton Club as a place to sell his number one beer to the prohibition crowd. At first, the Cotton Club was white only, which is crazy to me since it was a black neighborhood and all the entertainment was black. It later was opened to all, although it still was kind of fucked up because they would play like jungle music and depict the workers as like savages. Like some of the themes around the nightlife were still racist. One of the greatest to ever do jazz music, Duke Ellington, ran the Cotton Club's house band for eight years. People like Louis Armstrong often performed there and he even married a Cotton Club dancer. By the way, cotton club dancers, which were black women, had to be a certain weight, a certain height, and a certain skin complexion. Mm, 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 mm. Other great blues and jazz performers of the time included Billie Holiday, Ethel Waters, and more. And Ethel, you know, later on in like the 1940s and 50s became the first black American performer to star in her own regular television show. And I believe she went on to get an Emmy. So we've talked about how the Harlem Renaissance has influenced theater, art, music, and literature. Yeah. So how did this beautiful, booming, artistic hella black time period ends <sighs> well harlem renaissance began to decline with the crash of wall street in 1929 harlem became affected by rising unemployment and crime and the neighborhood erupted in a harlem riot in 1935 that led to a lot of property damage Still, the immediate effects of the movement echoed into the 1930s and beyond to this day. So, show summary. What did we learn? We learned that the Harlem Renaissance was a booming time period from about 1910 to the mid-1930s, where Black folks changed the art, literature, music, theater game shut that shit down okay we also learned that 
the Great Migration contributed to the Harlem Renaissance. Black folks from both land and sea came to northern cities like New York City, planted roots in neighborhoods like Harlem because there were more opportunities and the industrial boom, labor shortage of World War II. So we learned about that. We also learned that Harlem was a perfect place to start up because of you know, they overdeveloped and there were some empty buildings. So black people, they so they finally opened up their doors to black folks. We learned that, you know, black folks changed the music, art, theater, game. Art-wise, Jacob Lawrence was one of the most important and impactful Harlem Renaissance painters. And he did a migration series that painted the pictures of people migrating from the South to Northern cities. Literature-wise, we had great folks like W.E. Du Bois, County Cullen, Zora Neale Hurston, Richard Wright, Elizabeth Alexander, all contribute to literature that we still learn today and that is taught in schools. Also, literature-wise, the new, the new Negro collection of essays, stories, poems, and artwork was a complete game changer and name changer of Harlem Renaissance. You like what I did there? And in the music game, the Harlem Renaissance really shaped America in the entire, in the entire world by introducing jazz. And we have jazz artists like Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Billie Holiday, Ethel Waters, and more that came from this time period, performed in the Cotton Club, and changed the music game forever because we hear jazz and blues and R&B and pop and all of that. And then lastly, we learned that the Harlem Renaissance came to an end, mostly due to the crash of Wall Street in 1929 and the rise of unemployment and crime that kind of changed the face of the neighborhood from middle class to struggling class. So those are the things that we learned today. And that is the conclusion of episode eight on the history of Harlem Renaissance Thank you so much for tuning in to episode eight. Every episode, our community gets bigger and bigger. So to our new listeners, I hope you enjoyed. If you did and you learned anything, please leave a review on whatever streaming platform you listen to or share it with a friend. Yeah, share it with a friend. Don't be shy. Sharing it and reviews just help us rank more so we are able to kind of get feedback, see how you're truly feeling, what you're enjoying, what you're hating. Uh, of course, if you want to take a deeper dive on the history of the Harlem Renaissance, check out our show notes on our website that wasn't in our textbook.com. And if you haven't checked out our website, you definitely should. You'll find show notes there. You'll find our episode quiz and links to all the dope guests we've had so far. And make sure that you're following us on Instagram as well because, you know, I share some really cool things on there about the episode. And then on the release day, I always put out a video preview of the episode and I share the non-quiz quiz, which is 
not a quiz because we ain't giving out grades on that wasn't in my textbook. That's not the type of thing we doing over here. But it's like a fun, interactive quiz (laughs) that helps you kind of see if you remember different things from the episode. It's not hard, but it's not easy either. And lastly, make sure you come back on Friday, October 9th, where we're going to talk about the history of traveling while black, because, you know, traveling is all the buzz right now during the pandemic. Should you be traveling? Should you not be traveling? So we're going to talk about traveling in general, but we are going to take a deep dive into also traveling while black and the history behind that. Thanks again for listening to this episode talk to you on October 9th. Until then, remember, knowledge is power.